This is the Kingdom at Hand from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota, and I am Pastor Joe Faldet. Our summer worship service is at 9.30. You're welcome to join us in person, and we are found online at hosannafreelutheran.com. Galatians 5, 22-24. <clears throat> I read in Jesus' name. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let us pray. Father, as we meditate on self-control today, we ask that you would bless, that you would guide, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified through this, that we might draw near to you through this reality, Lord, as we see in ourselves what you are doing and what you still need to do. Lord, I pray that we would come to you and know you better. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So our slideshow today actually looks more like one of our classic slideshows, and I've got three slides, and each slide has subpoints, but not each of them has three subpoints, um, because you know I just like messing with people. And so, yeah, we're going back to normal, but the problem was those lasted like 35 minutes to 40 minutes, and I got in trouble for that. So, well, not too much. Um, but, yeah, I didn't really get in trouble for that. So, as we think about the fruits of the Spirit, one of the first things I want to remind you of is that they are not done by our effort. They are not fruits of the will. They are not fruits of a properly organized emotional state. They are not fruits from watching enough Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or Dr. whatever quack psychologist is on TV nowadays. Um, I don't watch TV, and so that poses me problems. I can't even be um, up to date with that. It's not the fruits of getting enough of them. If I can only follow Oprah properly. Is Oprah still around? I don't know. You know, that, that not what this ha that's not what this is. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from walking with the Spirit. And so if you find a lack of these in your life, what do you do? You try harder. No, that would be a fruit of the will. You think more deeply. No, that would be a fruit of the intellect. This is a fruit of the Spirit. You walk with Him. You come to Him. You rely on Him. You look to Him. That's what this is. And so, these are fruits of the Spirit. And against them, there is no law. They are always applicable. And I've used this illustration before, but did you know that there is a law against driving 30 miles per hour? If you're on the freeway, you cannot drive 30 miles per hour. But if you drive 45 miles per hour in St. James, you're getting a ticket. I don't know how the cops find you, but they seem to. And then you'll get in the paper. And so don't do that. And so there are laws there. But against self-control, there is no law. God never sees someone exercising self-control and says, that wasn't the time to do it. They should have lost themselves. Self-control is always proper. And one of the realities is I've prayed about this and you know, studied this passage and what self-control means in the, the ancient context, in our modern context. I've come to a realization, I don't think self-control exists at all within our modern culture. Not in the least. Nathan's like, yeah, right? Yeah, seriously. It doesn't exist at all. Like, all of these fruits of the Spirit, they are all absolutely absent within our culture. 
It is astonishing. People wonder why is our culture moving so dark? It's because the Spirit isn't at work in our culture as a whole. Is He at work in individuals within our culture? Absolutely. There are bright, shining lights. But as a whole, not at all. And yeah, they're warped, right? Yeah, our culture thinks they think that they have self-control when they get to do whatever they want. But that's not self-control. <laughs> that's the second one. So, external controls. So this is self-control. Now I am called to be in control of myself, kind of. Um, we'll get into that when we get to the third point. But usually when we think of control, actually most people are not controlled by self. They are controlled by external controls. And um, that I need to be in control of myself? Or, oh, our culture, external controls? Yeah, and so our external controls, we look at our culture. And so not, not just me. This is everybody. This is, this is, well, yeah. Yeah, all of, all of us. Because as I, I know I, I stand quite a ways above you guys, this <laughs> six-inch lip here. Uh, I think you're actually taller than me when you look at, you know, and you stand there in front. Um, but I, I am not better than any of you guys when it comes to this stuff. And the only way that I can walk in self-control is if I walk with the Spirit. And so if I'm not walking with the Spirit, I'm no better. If I am walking with the Spirit, it's because the Spirit gives me self-control. And again, I am no better because then the Spirit gets the glory and Joe doesn't get the glory. And so if, if you want self-control, what do you do? Do the same thing that I'm trying to do and try to walk in the Spirit. You know, trust Him. Rely on Him. But our, our culture then controls us because as we, <clears throat> why, is, why is money important? You guys ever wondered about that? I'm going to use an illustration. Why is money important? Because then we can have stuff. So I was, um, I was talking to Mary and Nibby, and Mary and might end up watching this one of these days, so I'll, I'll make sure that it's all good. Um, it is all good anyways. But I was talking to her one day, and she said when she was a little girl, the newspaper guy came by and had some extra newspapers. And he, he was going to sell them a newspaper. And I don't remember, it was like 10 cents or something for the newspaper. And her family scoured the house and they couldn't find 10 cents. They didn't have any money. But it wasn't a problem because they had, they had milk. They had eggs. They had flour. They had everything they needed. They didn't need money. And so why do we think that money then is going to, bring us happiness and joy. That's actually the lie of our culture because other cultures don't necessarily pursue money. They pursue other things, but they don't necessarily pursue money. And so all, all, our culture says, if you have enough money, then you're going to be happy. Whereas other cultures say, if you have enough power, then you're going to be happy. If you have enough prestige, then you're going to be happy. If you have enough of some other thing and the culture directs that. Now, cultures aren't bad because if you can develop a culture of godliness, then your culture is going to say, hey, if you have enough godliness, it's going to drive you into joy. It's going to give you joy. And so then your culture can support you. But usually, our culture does not support us. This is when we talk about the three evils of our, you know, that we battle our flesh, the world, and Satan. 
What is the world? That's our culture. And so our culture tries to direct and tries to guide. It tries to manipulate you so that you fit into it. Um, you guys have heard the expression, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Have you heard the Chinese version of that? The nail that stands up gets hammered down. And that the one that sticks out. That's the communist version too. The kulaks, they get killed. Um, yeah, right. And so the one that sticks out struggles. Our culture is trying to mold us into a uniform. Everyone needs to be exactly the same. That's what American culture is trying to do. That's what they're doing right now. That's what they're pushing on us. And so it's, it's trying to control us. Our traditions also try to control us. Now, our tradition's bad. No, I look at Kirsten because she likes traditions and I like to break them. Um, <laughs> and so it's perfect. She preserves them and I don't. Um, so I'm very thankful for her. But traditions are sometimes bad because have you ever, well, you know that old joke, the lady cut the end off of her roast and put it in the pan and her daughter asked her why. And she said, I don't know, that's what my mom does. And she asked, and so she, she went and asked her mom. And her mom says, I don't know, that's what grandma did. And so she went and asked her grandma and her grandma said, well, it's because I never had a pan big enough for the roast. <laughs> you know, and it's like, why are we doing this again? That, our traditions, they control us. Well, I can't do that because it goes against tradition. Well, and you've, um, you've heard about the, the pastor that sent back the offering plates, right? He said, because we can't accept change. <laughs> Don't worry, some of you will get that later. Um, you haven't been here long enough. No, uh, how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? Change? <laughs> You know, but this is the reality. Our traditions can bind us to such a degree that we actually can't walk with the Spirit. Well, that's not what a Christian looks like. Why? Well, that's not what Grandpa looked like. And Grandpa obviously walked with the Spirit. And so our traditions then control us. I can't do that. The Holy Spirit's calling me to do this. I can't do that. Well, why? Because it's never been done that way. Um, what? So what? We can't make that argument. Because if the Holy Spirit's guiding us, he's going to guide you and call you to do things that you've never done before. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know we're Lutherans, but this is reality. So we use these traditions to control ourselves, to control others. They're not necessarily bad, but as long as the Holy Spirit continues to bless them and empower them and use them, unless he does that, all they become is external controls. And they lead us away from the Holy Spirit. We rely on them instead of relying on Christ. Well, we always do it this way. Yeah, but does God want you to do that that way again? Well, I don't know. <laughs> That's a problem. Our habits are the same way. Now, do any of you have good habits? Do any of you have bad habits? Put both my hands up. <laughs> yeah, I've got bad habits too. Our habits control us. They are our assumptions as we live in this world. We need habits because we can't think absolutely about everything that we do. Even now as I'm speaking and forming these words and moving my hands, I'm using habits. I'm not thinking about this. I don't randomly break into Spanish, you know, because one, I don't know it well enough. But two, because my habit in this place is to speak English to all of you. I had a, uh, our friend Husto Pillman he said when he was a little boy uh, and he grew up in Ecuador, every time he met a white person, he would speak English. Every time he met an Ecuadorian, he would speak Spanish. And he had the hardest time transitioning that over because his habit with Ecuadorians 
was Spanish. And he said he met some that only spoke English and he, he couldn't do it. <laughs> Not because he didn't know English, but because his habit drove him. And our habits do that. We form godly habits, but our habits still are not our control because sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to call you to do something that goes against your habit. And then what do you do? You know, well, every morning I wake up at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 10 o'clock, whatever you guys do. I wake up at 10 o'clock. I know that's probably dar. Um, wake up at the crack of 11. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I wake up at the crack of 11 and I make sure I have my morning devotions and I have something else. And then, well, what happens when the Holy Spirit gives you something else that you have to do? Can you function? If you can't, then your habits are controlling you instead of the Holy Spirit. And that's not good because our habits are not our Lord's. They're supposed to be our servants. All of these things, all of these external controls, God has put them into our lives to serve us not for us to serve. When they become lords instead of servants, then we're living in sin. Think about that. When they become lords instead of servants, we are living in sin because we can't have two lords, can we? And now Christ is no longer on the throne in our hearts, but our habits are. Now Christ is no longer on the throne and he's going to give you opportunities to challenge these. You're going to have to stand against your culture at times and say, no, this is ridiculous. You're going to have to stand against your traditions. You're going to have to stand against your habits. It's going to happen because Christ wants you to know that he's still Lord. And so he's going to challenge you on that. We have internal controls, our fleshly controls. That's what Paul calls them here, our passions and our desires. Now the word passions is interesting. It's the thing that makes us passive. Yeah. It's the same root. A passion is the thing that makes you passive. It takes control over your life. You're like, well, no, but it really drives me. Yeah, it drives you. Who's the one in control? The front seat driver or the back seat driver? <laughs> the back seat driver is actually in control. No, they're not. The one with their hands on the wheel is the one that's in control. And so if I'm letting my passions drive me, I'm no longer in control. Well, I really want that. I can't not do that. I have to defend myself. I have to get more. My passions are driving me. It's no longer the Holy Spirit that's in control of your life now. It's your passions. It's your, your lusts, your thirsts, your hungers. These things are driving you. Have any of you ever fasted? How does hunger work? Does it poke at you and say, hey, go and get something to eat? And you say, no, I'm fasting. And it says, okay. No, that's not the way that it works. It constantly pokes. And it says, go do, go do, go do, go do. That's what our passions do. Go get, go pursue, go seek. And then it drives us on. I want. And it actually... Passions and desires are, are linked, but desires are the ends. Our passions are the wind that pushes us there. And so we have crucified our passions and desires, Paul says here. And so we are not being led just by what we want, 
by what our flesh wants. It wants power. It wants um, pleasure. It wants prestige. It wants all these P words. I don't know why they're all P words, but you know, whatever. Um, it wants those things. It wants recognition. That's not a P word. Ha. Um, it wants those things. And so it does these things to get those things. That's our passions. Our passions are what we do. They make me passive. Anger. Anger is a great passion. We talk about the passion of anger. Have any of you ever lost control and you got angry? Done and said things that at that moment you knew you should not be doing and saying. Yeah. You then become passive in that. You're given your anger control. That's a passion. And then what does it do? It satisfies your dark desires. I want to hurt. I want to insult. I want to be in power. I want to gain control. And so then that passion, that thing that made you passive, seeks those things that you know you shouldn't be seeking. Because otherwise you've inhibited those desires. Like, oh, I don't want, I don't really need that. I really want that, but I don't really need that. And then we let our anger loose. This is why we may have to make sure there isn't bitterness in our life because bitterness also makes us passive. Because if you're bitter, you can't love. If you're bitter, you are actively hating at a small scale. And can you hate and love at the same time? No. You're going to end up becoming perfectly Minnesotan, passive-aggressive. Keep Minnesota kind of nice. Kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a shirt I actually saw that said, keep Minnesota passive-aggressive. Uh, that's sadly accurate. Um, why is that? Why is that passive aggressiveness there? Because people aren't walking with the Spirit. Because you can't be passive aggressive and walking in the Spirit. Because to be passive aggressive, you need to be trying to gain control, but also maintain your reputation. And so, that, does that make sense? Passions and desires. Anger is one of the easiest ones to talk about because we've all experienced it to some degree. Well, Kirsten probably hasn't, but you know the rest of us probably have. Yeah. She's experiencing it now. <laughs> no. <laughs> but we've all been there. We've, at least we've wanted to give up our control and just hand ourselves over to it. We don't think about it in those terms. You ever heard someone say, but I just got, but I just got so angry. What does that mean? They have now given control over to their anger and now they're blaming their anger. But I was just so tired. Now I've given control over to my tired. Now I'm blaming my tired. I'm no longer in control of myself. I've become passive. These are my passions. And they seek to fulfill my desires. But Paul says, no, if we are in Christ, we've crucified those. I'm not following those. I'm following Jesus. And this happens as we build our relationship with Christ. That's the only way that these passions and desires, that's the only way that these external controls can actually be overridden and made to serve us. Now is anger, and, and I need to take a step back, is anger bad? No. God talks about anger. God gets angry. He doesn't get tired, but he gets angry. God has desires. God has wants. He pursues those things, but he uses those things in service of his goals. They don't use wouldn't, wouldn't that be terrifying if God lost control? Can you think about that? 
God does not lose control. God's wrath serves him. He does not serve his wrath. That was the terror of the mythological gods. Yeah, because Zeus lost control all the time. He lost control to anger. He lost control to lust. He lost control to greed. Yeah, Zeus was a great, he was an awful human being. Well, he wasn't a human being. (laughs) Become like your gods. Do not follow the Greek gods. They are horrible. Um, These things are meant to serve us. But the only way that they can come into the control of serving us is when we come into the control of Christ. When we give control over to him and you're like, wait, 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 Joe. You, well, you might not have said it quite like that. Um, if you're giving control over to Christ, you are no longer in self-control. That's not true. Because this is control as it's meant to be. When we're in Christ, we have a freedom to follow him or to not follow him. But then godliness, the Holy Spirit that's in us says it's best to follow him. So then we do that which we end up wanting to do. Paul talks about that. I do not do that which I want to do and I do that which I do not want to do. Oh, what a wretched man that I am who will free me from this body of death. And so my passions, my desires, my culture, my habits, my um, traditions, they will bring me to death. But then if I'm walking with Christ, he brings me into life. And so what does this mean? What does this relationship look like? Well, and I've got three of them here. There's more ways that you can view your relationship with God. And God is going to approach you and interact with you as you grow in your relationship with him. He is going to interact with you in the way that connects best with you. And it's just amazing because God is so big and he's so wise that he's going to interact with us. He humbles himself because God is all of these things. Is God Lord? Yes. Is God a friend? Is God a friend? Think about that. That's crazy. But yeah, he calls himself, he calls us his friends. Jesus says that in the Gospels. I don't remember exactly which one. But he's also then our mentor. He's our leader. He's the one who is full of wisdom that can guide our lives. And so as we walk with Christ, we give our rights over to him. He becomes our Lord because now I submit to him. I don't submit to my anger anymore. I submit to him. I don't submit to my lusts anymore. I submit to him. I don't live for prestige anymore. I submit to him. He is Lord. He is the one who has the right to me. Because money doesn't have the right to me. It doesn't get to, it doesn't get to rule me. No offense, but as a congregation, you guys don't have the right to me. I serve you as I serve him. If he called me somewhere else, I would have to leave. Do you know why? Because you're not my Lord. He is. And as much as that would hurt, it's reality. Not that I'm anticipating that at all, but it's a reality. We are, Christ is Lord. He has these rights. I don't get to do the things that I want to do sometimes. Why? Because Jesus has told me I can't. I would love to be able to blame all my problems on someone else problem is most of them are my fault and I don't have the right to do that because Christ has told me not to and he is my Lord but he's also my friend and I also know that it's the best for me is Christ my friend telling me Joe you need to take responsibility for your own problems as Christ tells me that 
He's doing that as my friend. He's seeking my benefit. Have any of you ever prayed for something and not gotten it? What, or, some of you haven't raised your hands, or not gotten it in the time scale that you want. <laughs> Why did Jesus do that? Because he's your friend. And he says, hey, I love you and this is what you need right now. I can't answer that at this moment in the way that you want because that's not going to be good for you. Do we see Christ as our friend? Do we see that lack of answer or that answer of, hey, wait, as a gift? As the greatest demonstration of his love that we can receive? Do we see it that way? Or are we sitting there like, come on, God, hurry up. Why are you the pots in this one? You know, you're the slow one in this relationship, right? Are we acting with Christ as he's our friend? Our Lord, but also our friend, the one who loves us and cares for us? Because sometimes when we see him as Lord, we can see him as being the one that's standing there. It's like, hurry up, get your act together, Joe. He's not just Lord. He's also friend, father, the one who cares, the one who provides, the one who protects, the one who guides. He's our mentor. He's the one that looks deeply into our lives and says, you need to go here now so that you can be there then. I want you to grow. So not only does he do these things in our lives because he loves us, because they are the greatest expression of his love, but also because his goal is that we wouldn't remain static. What parent out there would be a good parent and desire and pursue their children, remaining children, all their lives? That's not a good parent. Oh, I'd love it if my kids were always three. Like, what? No. <laughs> They're cute at three. They're a lot of work. Um, I don't have any three-year-old kids now, so I can say that. Um, there might be a part of you that desires that, but you don't pursue that. And that's also God with us. He is our mentor. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become all that we can be. This is what a good mentor does. Is He guides you to become more. Does that mean that things are always fun? Have you ever had a coach that was really tough on you? Levi's like, yep. She's over there. <laughs> Why does a coach do that? You know, we had a, um, my dad's football coach, Dick Holen. I'll, I'll talk about him because he's passed away. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's passed away. But when he was coaching my dad in football, he was a, a big guy. He would walk around and as they were doing leg lifts, he would actually step on their stomachs. Why? Because they needed to know what they needed to be working. And so he would make sure, <laughs> he would make sure that their abs were tight when they were lifting their legs. Because you can lift your legs without tightening your abs. You're just using your, um, your hip flexors. I'm not getting into that. Come on, Joe. But he would make sure that their abs were tight because that's what they needed to be doing. And in order to withstand Dick Holen stepping on you, you needed to have your abs tight. But why? He was mean. No, he was mentoring them. He needed them to grow. Otherwise, they could never be a good football team. And so also God does to us. You're in a time of difficulty. Do we say, oh God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you so mean? Or are we saying, Lord, thank you 
for giving me an opportunity to grow. Because God is mentor. And I look out at all of you and I've seen you go through and are going through opportunities to grow. Do we say, thank you, Jesus, that you are my friend, that you want me to grow, and that you are my Lord, and that you are guiding my life, and that you are in charge of this too? Do we say, thank you? Or do we say, oh, I just want to be done? I've been there. I just want to be done. I'm not saying that this is, what is this then? What do we do? Come back to Christ. Lord, you have to guide us. You have to lead. I want a deeper relationship with you. Thank you. Rejoice. Rejoice in times of trial and hardship because God is good. His love endures forever. He is friend. He is Lord. He is mentor. He wants your growth. He wants your perfection. He wants more of you. Because if you're self-controlled, you will seek God instead of the things that pass away. If you're self-controlled, you will seek God. What better thing in this world than knowing God? What can actually, actually compare to that? So if you were actually self-controlled, you'd pursue God all the time. And so then why do we create a Christian culture here? To encourage us. Because I need that. I need a Christian culture around me to support me because sometimes I'm not self-controlled. So then I need you guys to keep me accountable. I need habits. I build habits into my life. I've built devotional habits. Do you know why? Because by nature, I'm lazy. So I like what? I like to break habits too. Well, that's traditions. Some habits I have to break. I'm still working on those. But why do we do these things? They're there to support us. Why do we have passions? They're actually there to support us, but we need to control them in our relationship with Christ. Why do we have desires? They're meant to support us, to serve us. And we need to guide those to Christ. Does this make sense? This is what self-control is. And so then how do we achieve that? How do we achieve self-control? It's by reading the next book at Barnes & Noble or on Amazon about willpower or habits, why we do what we do, which is a fascinating book, by the way, and I have it if you'd like to borrow it. But the problem is it doesn't teach us about the Spirit. How do we gain self-control in reality? It's by walking with the Spirit, obeying Him, trusting Him, rejoicing always. And again, I say, rejoice. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are working self-control in us. <laughs> Lord, I'd like it if you did it faster. <laughs> but I thank you that even that is a gift. Lord, the trials, the grind, the struggles, that these are gifts. We praise you for that. May your light shine through us. Even as we battle our desires, even as we battle our traditions, even as we battle our habits that want to drive us away from you. Lord, we thank you that your light is shining in us. 
and that you are changing us through those battles too. Father, we praise you. You are so good. You're so wise. You love us so much. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.